Father, there are people in our nation that are experiencing fire and flood, literally. And people here that may be experiencing it figuratively or other fires or other floods in their life. And I just pray, God, that you would, you would hear and answer prayer as we ask for your continued revelation of who you are as a God who cares, a God who loves. I pray that we'll be able to lay aside those things, Lord, in contrast with the greatness and the size and the love and what you bring to the table for all of our challenges. And I pray, God, that our confidence would not be shaken in any way. And that we would just bless your name. We would praise, praise you, knowing that you have, have promised to prosper us and to, to take whatever is meant for evil and turn it for good. We, we know that you are the only one that can do that. And I pray, God, that you will transform our hearts with that today. And Father, that you'll take the living word of God. Lord, as we look at this new series today, beginning, that we, God, would be transformed and changed. We'd be different than when we came. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thou shalt not... Thou shalt not. Those are the three words that always seem to come to mind when we think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Many pe people today picture Christianity, Christianity, let me start over. <laughs> Many people today picture Christianity with its Judeo-Christian ethics based on these Ten Commandments as something old and lifeless and joyless. They look around at the youth of our culture and what they're doing for fun and they kind of grimace and they frown and they view Christianity as the enemy of life and fun as being against anything that's delightful or, or fulfilling. How many of us, if we had to admit it, unconsciously view God as some big father up there who says, find out what they're doing for fun and make them stop? Fear is the rule, fear of God. Fear of the consequences of our actions. Fear that we'll have to stop having fun. No wonder we hesitate to make contact with God. Contact with God. Now there's another view of God found throughout history in a popular culture. And the actor Jim Carrey plays a man named Bruce. Good. You have to check out the movie. Interesting things. You know, some people are like Jim Carrey. They think that they can do a better job. Bruce sees God, as many in our culture today do, that he exists to meet my needs. And when he doesn't, he's a mean and he's a judgmental God. Typically, when you look at our population today, look at people around today, they break up into two groups. When they experience something good, group one sees it as a sign or evidence that someone up there is watching out for them. Group number two experiences good and sees it as just pure luck, a happy turn of chance. They feel that ultimately whatever happens is they're on their own, which can actually fill them with fear. Group one feels that whatever's going to happen, there will be someone there to help them, and that fills them with hope. What kind of person are you? Do you feel deep down that whatever happens, you're on your own, filling you with fear? Or do you believe deep down that whatever happens, there's someone up there watching out for you to help you, filling you with hope? Fear or hope? The atheist lives in fear of being on his own. 
But then you have the Christian who lives in fear of contact with God that's angry because you broke his rules. In reality, we really should be filled with hope, and we should not fear when we come into contact with God. Why? Because God wants contact with us, not to punish us, but to love us, to help us, not to hurt us. Joy Davidman uses the illustration of a life preserver. She says, God, for many of us, is a life, like a life preserver flung to a drowning man. And so he is if, if, if you happen to be drowning, but you can't drown all the time. So sooner or later, you have to merely start living again. Do we throw the life preserver away when we're safely at shore? Or if our contact with God is based on fear rather than love, we'll throw that life preserver away when we get to safety. Say, I don't need it anymore. Only if we're drowning and going down for the third time will we bargain with God and offer to trade everything dear for us for that contact with God, with that life preserver that we need. Of course, once we get safely back on shore, we throw away the life preserver, grab our treasures back until the next time, of course. We forget that the reason God is watching out for us is not to stamp out our pleasures. He's not only a comfort, but a joy. He's a source of all pleasure. He's fun, he's light, he's even laughter. Contact, contact with God. We were meant to enjoy contact because it's not about rules. It's about relationship. And we all desperately want a positive experience with God, free from fear and full of hope. This message series that we're starting today is about the Ten Commandments, it's God's top 10. It's about relationship. In this message today, I want to lay some groundwork so that as we work our way through God's top 10, we will begin to understand the who of God's top 10, the why for God's top 10, and the desired outcome for God's top 10. And we're going to start today, we're not going to look at the commandments per se, we're going to look at the preparation. The people of God are getting ready to meet and make contact with this God and we read about it in Exodus 19. It's on page 59 in the Bible. It will also be on PowerPoint. And I want us to read Exodus 19, the first 19 verses. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they sent out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for all the people around the mountains and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches it shall surely be put to death. 
He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal. He shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. They had rules for contact with God. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. When Moses spoke, the voice of God answered him. Sounds really scary to me. God is making contact with his people. This is making contact with his nation, the people of Israel. How did the Israelites prepare for this contact with God? How did the people prepare for a relationship? And what can we learn as we move forward over the next few weeks. Now we begin with our preparation for contact with God, hopefully reaching an understanding of what this contact is all about. What is this contact with God all about? First of all, we have to understand that this is number, number one, it's a relationship of love, not fear. It's a relationship of love, not fear. God's relationship with his people is to be one of respect and awe and fear. There, there's a, a, a way that we really hold God in awe and we fear him and respect him. He, we respect his role as creator and we're the created beings. But God's relationship is intended to be one of love and blessing, not fear and cursing. And we understand this when we first look at the fact that this relationship was initiated by God. This relationship was initiated by God. Many of you know the story of Abram, or Abraham as he was later known. He was the father and founder of the nation of Israel. And he didn't make up, wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to make contact with the real God and see if he'll bless me. No. The blessing to Abraham, which actually flows on to us today because we are the children of Abraham, basically started with God's initiative, God initiated the contact with Abram and promised to bless him and his descendants, producing a nation, which was a nation of Israel, through whom all people could then someday be in contact with God. So we sit here today because God initiated contact with Abram, who became Abraham, started the nation of Israel. Of course, eventually Jesus came through in the church, you know, all the rest. That's what happened. It all started at God's initiative. God took the initiative. All through history, God is a seeking God. God's seeking people out. He, he's a God who initiates contact with people. Now, why does he do that? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. They have special value, a special relationship. People are not just lucky. They, they do have someone that's watching out for them. You, you personalize it now, you matter to God. So much that he initiated a search in order to make contact with you. You're not here by accident. God initiated contact with you. Why? Because you are of special value. And God wants to have a special, unique relationship with you personally. This relationship is one of love. It's not fear. And God initiated it 
And he's been looking for you, and he wants to establish that. If, you, if you're here this morning, you haven't allowed that relationship to become reality. He wants a relationship with you. Secondly, this relationship is carried by God. It's carried by God. God is the one who sustains and gives life to this relationship. In verse four, in our text, it uses an illustration of eagle's wings. Now, what is that all about? Well, when an eagle, when a baby eagle is hatched or born, it's fed and pampered in this feather-lined nest that's high on, on the side of a cliff or high up in a, in a big tree. And then when the baby eagle is ready to fly, the mother eagle makes the nest uncomfortable and takes all the stuff out and, the, and then eventually pushes the eaglet out into thin air. And then as the baby eagle falls through the air trying to fly, the mother eagle swoops under it, catches it on her back, and takes it high into the sky again and then drops it again. And basically repeats this process until the eagle learns how to fly. The mother eagle catches and carries this eaglet. And, and this is the illustration that God uses about Israel. The nation of Israel was in Egypt, and they became comfortable. They were there 400 years, okay? That's longer than the U.S. has existed, by the way. But, but they were in Egypt for 400 years. They were pretty comfortable, and God said, you know, you need to fly. You need to be in the promised land. You need to become a nation. You need to leave here. But he had to make it very uncomfortable first, and so he made their nest uncomfortable. And then when, when they exited that, just like a mother eagle helps them fly, they went out into the wilderness. It's like thin air. How many of you feel like you're in the wilderness today? Okay, God wants to carry, carry you as he carried them. He, he led them for 40 years in the desert. He fed them every day, provided water when they needed. They made their clothes last the whole time. Can you imagine how outdated their clothes were after 40 years? But they, they still were, they could still wear them. 40 years until they entered the promised land. They grew up in safety, he threw them into thin air, and then they moved into the promised land and started to fly. Now, when you look at that, I, you know, I, I think about the fact that I have two daughters, I have two daughters, and as a dad, I discovered a lot of different roles in my relationship with my children. Uh, one was teaching them how to ride a bike. How many of you have taught your children how to ride a bike? Okay, they started out with training wheels, and that's a piece of cake. You just say, get on, you know, pedal, it's just fine. You do whatever you, but the real fun starts when you take the training wheels off. Okay, take the training wheels off. And I would run alongside each of them, helping, supporting, catching them if necessary, until each of them could balance on the bike and ride it on their own. Now, once they could ride the bike, our relationship changed. They didn't need me anymore to help them ride the bike. Okay. Now, I still had a relationship with them because I was their dad, but the nature of our relationship changed because they were growing up. The contact remained. They were still in a relationship with me. It's the same way when God carries us along at different times in our life. There are times we need to be carried in more intense fashion and more intense ways. Then we grow through that, and then we get in a different thing. But we never give up that relationship with our Father God. The contact remains and then, of course, with my daughters, it started all over again when they turned 16. From bike to car, 10 miles per hour to 60 miles per hour. Scary. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you remember those times. Some of you have it coming up. So just, just, let, just let you know it's coming. Well, the relationship we have with God constantly changes as we grow to the next level and mature and grow up. God always takes us where we are, and he carries us along. He gives us the support we need. That's what he did then. That's the nature of our contact with God. It's not only initiated by God, but he carries it. He, he takes care of that relationship. Now, Israel 
had ups and downs. We have ups and downs. But the one constant is that God carries us along. God carries us along. The third concept of contact, it's all a relationship, is that we are valued by God. Talked a little bit about that. In verse 5, God calls Israel, my treasured possession. My treasured possession. Now, God didn't value these people only if they followed all the rules. If they followed the rules. That wasn't the only time he valued them. His value was placed on them, and it was unchanging, it was unconditional, and it was constant. You have to ask the question, what kind of parents would we be if we showed love to our children only when they obeyed or they were good? What kind of friend would you be to your classmates or roommate if you only showed love and acceptance when they were fun and they were up and they were nice? People are valued by God because of what they, no, I'm sorry. People are valued by God not because of what they do, but because of who they be. People are valued by God not because of what they do, but because of who they be. Bad grammar, but we must get past the idea that we must do for God to love us. Just be. He loves us as we are, exactly where we are. He loves us unconditionally. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. And these are foundational truths, and we'll be talking about the parameters of relationship later as we get further into this series. So we have a relationship of love, not fear. It's initiated by God. We're carried by God, and we're valued by God. And fourth, we are possessed by God. We are possessed by God. Exodus 19.5 says, my treasured possession. It means Israel is possessed by God. Now, I used to love it when my father would introduce me to someone and say, this is my son. This is my son. I knew he was proud of me, and when he introduced me and said, this is my son, he, he did that in the, in the essence of saying, I, I, I relate to my son. When, when I tell people, this is my wife, Judy, or these are my daughters, I'm, I'm talking about possession, not in the sense of control or ownership or property, but in the sense of relationship. And you all know that. You will introduce people as, this is my father, this is my mother, my brother, my sister, in, in sense of relationship. That's when he's talking about, they are my treasured possession. Granted, God is the owner of everything. He has given us life, breath, body, soul, and spirit. He owns it all. But we are his possession by virtue of relationship. By virtue of relationship, because we choose to respond. God initiated contact, and we responded, and we entered into relationship with him, if, if you've done that. Now, free will says, I choose to belong to God. Even though he has the right as creator, God, or boss, he chooses to give us choice. Isn't that neat? He chooses to give us free choice. Besides, what good is a relationship if you have to love somebody? Somebody said, couldn't God just make us all love him? Yeah, it doesn't work. You have to love her. She's your sister. What good is that? Okay. Or you, you, you have to love him. He married your daughter. You know, this have to thing. No, it's, it's choice. He gives us a choose, the, the, the free will to choose to love God. Now I want to talk just a minute about contract versus covenant. This is going to be confusing. God's top ten are part of a covenant. And a covenant is, in essence, a contract, but there's a difference because covenant has an additional dimension that a contract doesn't. Some people, let me give you an illustration. Some people approach their marriage as if it were a contract. Okay. We're entering into a contract in marriage, and the man says to his wife, if, 
There's always an if, then, in a contract. You do this, then I'm gonna do this, okay. So man says to his wife, if you cook, clean, wash the clothes, have my children be the primary caregiver, work your 40 hour a week job, and fill all my needs, then I will fulfill my end of the contract. Okay, you just do your thing and then I'll fulfill my end. And, or, or the woman says to her husband, if you make a good living, provide me with credit cards and let me shop and provide material comforts, emotional support, non-sexual affection, then I will fulfill my end of the contract. That may be a marriage contract, but it's not a marriage relationship. It's like, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. That's, that's, that doesn't, doesn't make sense. We must delineate between the conditional and the unconditional. Marriage is unconditional in extending love and support without conditions. Okay, let me say that again. Marriage is unconditional in extending love and support without conditions until death separates. Now, it is conditional in its enjoyment and fulfillment. In other words, if you live in a, in a way that doesn't fulfill those kinds of, of wishes and, and desires and needs of your spouse, it's not gonna be very fun. It's not gonna be enjoyed. If marriage is to be enjoyed and fulfilling, man, you just have to take out the trash. Okay, just know that. One must give support and encouragement. Love, give gifts, talk, and walk. You can stay married with all out of that, but I can guarantee you won't enjoy the relationship. Well, you can fulfill a contract with God and do all of those things you're supposed to do, but if there's no sense of unconditional acceptance and love, you won't enjoy it. It'll be obligation. You can fulfill your contract, but you will not experience the covenant because the covenant has to do with relationship. There are relational parameters. God has them too. Ten, ten mostly. If we follow, we can experience a full joyful relationship with God or not. It's if, then. This is not conditional in the sense that we earn it, but we choose to accept it or reject it. Now, there's, there's a difference between the contact relationship and a covenant relationship. And I'll give it two sentences here. The first one is the, the contract relationship. The contract relationship says, if you give to me, I'll give in return, okay? That's what we think of in a contract. You sign a contract, you sign a rental agreement, you sign a house agreement, you do um, an employment agreement, whatever. If you do this, then I'll do this, and that's, that's the agreement. That's a contract relationship. The covenant relationship is different. It says, I have already given. That's God. Just receive the gift of love, then return obedience. So God has already given. We just respond to that in the relationship. It's critical for us to understand the nature of God's covenant relationship with Israel in order for us to understand God's new covenant relationship with us through Jesus Christ. It's not what we do, it's not what we earn, it's that Jesus died for us. That covenant, the new covenant in the blood, paid for, and we don't earn it, we receive it. But in the context of that relationship, there's relational parameters and obedience to God. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. That's the essence of grace. God has already accepted us in his extending the gift of relationship. We choose to accept the relationship, conditions and all, or reject it. Alan Cole says, all that Israel needed initially for salvation from Egypt was acceptance of God's deliverance. They just need to say, I'll be delivered, okay? Now, 
the thought is introduced that obedience is needed as well as faith. It's not a contradiction. It's a fuller explanation of the nature of faith as response. It's the heart of the covenant and underlies the whole law of Moses. A lot of people say, well, that's Old Testament, that's that. No, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant have much to teach us and much in common. It's all grace, all grace. So we have a relationship of love, not fear. Okay, it's very important that we understand that as we go into the Ten Commandments. Second, this contract with God is in community, not isolation. Number two, community and not isolation. It's lived out in community, not in, uh, in, in, in a group setting. Now some of you say, I was just getting used to the idea of a contact with God and I have to, I have to become part of a group. Well, there's a relational context in which we live this out. Exodus 19.6 says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? There are two fundamental ideas when it comes to priesthood. Priesthood. The first one, letter A, is free access to God's presence. Free access to God's presence. See, in the Old Testament, the only ones who could go into the presence of God and make contact with God were, were the priests. And so if you weren't a priest, you couldn't have contact with God. But that changed. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, what gives us that confidence? The blood of Jesus gives us access to the most holy place, which means we can enter into contact with the living God. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So now we all have the option in relationship to enter into the presence of God. Now, have you ever tried to make an appointment to see somebody important? And you have to go through several layers and you make appointments and you wait and you sit and wait. Yeah, you don't have to do that with God. It's amazing. The amazing thing is, you know, here's the God of the universe and you can go right in. You go right in. You know, we, sometimes we just take that for granted. We have instant access, instant messaging. We can enter into his presence immediately if we know Jesus. We have instant access that, that's the power of prayer. When we're talking about and, and celebrating the power of prayer, we're talking about that. Prayer, instant access. The second principle of priesthood, that's the first one, the second principle of priesthood is, is B, help others enter God's presence. We exist as followers of Jesus Christ to help other people make contact with God. Now, we don't act as mediators. Our role is to introduce others to Jesus Christ so they can also make contact with God. They can make contact with God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not everybody is raised with that theological understanding, but that's what 1 Timothy 2.5 says. It says there's one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, he's the mediator that we go through to contact God. Once we introduce people to Jesus Christ, they establish their own personal contact with God. And they too can be part of the community, which is the people of God. Now there's an there's a interesting role we play, and I, I don't have, you can write this down, I don't have it in your notes, but I, I want to read it. It's 2 Corinthians 5. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but that's okay. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, and it talks about 
this role that we play. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you've come to Jesus Christ and you've asked for forgiveness of your sins, confess that and give me your heart and life to Jesus Christ. All the old has passed away and it's all new. It's all new relationship. That's what it says. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So he reconciled, he made the relationship right and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's not just that we have been reconciled to God, now we have this great relationship with God. He said, you have the ministry of bringing other people to God. He said, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It talks about we're Christ's ambassadors, etc. And so we have that role of, of bringing other people to make contact with God. So, so we're in community, not isolation. Number three, contact with God in purity, not ordinary, but special. Number three, purity says, you will be for me a holy nation. Now, holy means separate, not separate in the sense of separate from other people who are living life out of, out of this context of the world. But in the fact that we are distinguish, distinguishably different. We are different. In other words, when people look at you, they say, something's different about them. You know, we, the only thing that makes us different from, from non-believers is Jesus. You know, we're not better than them. We're not, it's just the Holy Spirit living inside us. People will notice that something's different about you. And that's, when it talks about holy, he was talking about this nation, Israel, that was so separate, so unique, because they worshiped the one true God. They had these moral values, the, the, all of the things that set them apart. And he said, you are a holy nation. That's what God calls us to, is purity and holiness. Untarnished. And that makes us stand apart and special. It's nothing of us. We can't take credit for it. It's the, the, the spirit of God inside of us that makes us different. And then number four, contact. Contact, get ready to meet God. How do we prepare in relationship and community and purity. Each and every one of these are God's work to us, in us, through us, to others. God's top 10. It's about relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us just a, a little picture of how this is supposed to work. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you as we, as we move on through God's top 10, that you would help us to understand how this relational thing works, how we're to relate to you, the living God. And I pray, Lord, as we understand that and grow in that, that we would also understand how to relate to one another. You said the greatest commandment of all is love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then your neighbor as yourself. And I pray, Lord, as we move through this, this series, that you would enlighten us, that God, you would help us to see all the contemporary applications and how it makes sense to each one of us as we worship you and praise you. And we thank you. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we thank you that every knee will bow someday and that every person and everything on earth is subject to God. And I pray that as we move forward, as we study how to relate, how to make contact, and how to interact with you, that uh, you will just open our eyes and strengthen us, Lord, in resolve and understanding. 
I just pray now, Lord, that you would go before each one of us as we move forward in this life that you've called each one of us to live. And we thank you. And now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.